This is the last part of our series, the Tipping Point series. Simple concepts, big momentum. We've been talking about really the idea of generosity. And here's the whole point of the series. If you missed all the other parts, it's not a problem. Here's the synopsis of it. This is not a series where my approach has been to try and convince and persuade those among us who want nothing to do with generosity to tip you over to the other side and, and, and get you to be just, a, just an eager philanthropist. That's not what this series is about. It's not taking about generosity atheists and turn you into you know, the most generous people on the face of the earth. Actually, I don't feel like that's a job for the pastor to do. That's a work for the Holy Spirit to do. I don't feel like my role this morning is to convince you if you don't want to give of your time, if you don't want to serve and volunteer and help people in your community and in your church, or if you don't want to part with any of the resources that God's entrusting you and give it away to other people in need or help to support the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to convince you to do that this morning because here's what I believe the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when I get saved, when I begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, his spirit comes and it takes up residence inside of me. He lives in me. And here's the most amazing miracle. I begin to change. It doesn't all happen in one moment, but it is a process. The Bible uses a fancy word, sanctification, the process by which I become more like Jesus and less like who I used to be outside of Jesus. And then it happens deep down. And it takes a little while for the the good news of Jesus Christ to sink the whole way down. But you know what happens? When Jesus really takes up residence inside of our lives, things start to transform and change. And I start to find new things bubbling up inside of me that I can't produce by myself, but that Jesus already is. And one of those things is generosity because there's no one in in history that's been more generous than Jesus Christ. He's the most generous person ever. God the Father is generous. The Bible talks about it over and over and over. So here's what that means to me. If I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus, and that's our mission here at Echo Community Church, to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. That's it. To lead you into a healthy relationship with Jesus that day by day, week by week, you're incrementally moving down this, down this path and journey to becoming more like Christ and less like who we used to be outside of Christ. If that's happening, then you know what? You want to be generous. There's a part of you that just says, I really want to be generous with my time. I've got gifts, talents, abilities, resources, know-how. I, I, I want to give some of that away to people that need it. I want to help. I, I want to give of my resources. I want to give of my, my finances. If you're growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you already want to be generous. But probably you're living with a sense of tension that's saying, I'm not nearly as generous as I wish I could be because I'm just not positioned in life to be that generous yet. So this whole series is not about convincing you to be generous. That's a work for the Holy Spirit, not for the pastor. But this series is about saying to the majority of us who say, I want to be generous. I just would like to feel like I could be free to be more generous than I already am. This series is about how do I get there? What are the simple things that we can do? Some simple concepts that you can put into your life that if you can tackle these concepts, it's going to start like that little domino that eventually knocks over a big one. It starts some momentum going in your life towards generosity. So we've talked already about defeating possessiveness. We've talked the last two weeks about determining my budget. So if either of those things sound interesting to you, but you missed that part, you can go onto our website, echochurchonline.com, or you can go to iTunes. You can down, and lots of people do this. They, they, they download those messages and they listen to them at home. Um, today, we're going to just conclude with a short message called Discerning My Motives. This really um, probably, in retrospect, if I taught this all over again, I'd teach this one first. Because this is really, I think, uh, you can't talk about generosity without talking about motives. Because it's possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Did you hear what I just said? It is entirely possible for you to even do godly things for the wrong reasons. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 6, doesn't he? He talks to people who were praying, who were giving to the poor, and who were fasting. They were doing it for the wrong reasons. And he said, you don't get a blessing for that. 
So it's interesting. Really, motives in the New Testament have a whole lot to do with everything. So let's, let's just read the two passages we'll be at this morning. I'll give you a couple application points, and then we will eat. I'll keep reminding you of that because I'm reminding myself because I smell sauerkraut, and that smells really, really, really good. Okay, back to generosity. You must each, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Who wrote 2 Corinthians? Paul. Oh, boy, someone said that with great enthusiasm. Paul. You must each decide where? In your? You must each decide in your heart. What's the next two words? How much? Interesting. How do we decide? You say, God, I want to be generous. How much should I give? He says, what does your heart want to give? We talked about the last two weeks. Decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give, now we're getting into the motive, don't give reluctantly, and don't give in response to pressure. So what does the Bible teach? If you are reluctant to give this morning, should you give? If that's your motive. No. Oh, but pastor, I heard a testimony one time. I didn't really want to give, and I did, and then $1,000 came in my mailbox. Okay, you're the exception. I don't know what happened there, but Fantastic. Sometimes we see things happen in life that don't necessarily come out of the scripture. We serve a God that's big and creative. But here's what Paul says. If you don't want to give, don't. You should be excited about this, relieved by this. Don't give reluctantly and don't give in response to pressure. Have you ever felt pressured to give? Look, that doesn't only happen in church. You know, it's that time they hear ring-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding. Every time you go in every store around here. And I, I, I love what it is. I'm not knocking it at all. But after a while, I run out of pocket change, you know? And it's like, you know, every time I walk through there, it's not like maybe it says more about me than it does about the Salvation Army, but it's just that expectation of, okay, oh boy. But don't give reluctantly in response to pressure because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. So then you'll always have, I love this principle, you'll have everything you need to take care of. And then plenty left over to share with others. See, the Bible, doesn't even, the Bible doesn't teach in the New Testament that you are mandated by God to put your family third or fourth or fifth and give to everybody else and live off the scraps. That's not what the Bible teaches. Now, some people believe that that's what God's called them to do, but here's what the Bible teaches. God's going to make sure you have what you need to take care of your family and have plenty left over if you approach your budget and your economics from a biblical viewpoint. If you don't approach your finances biblically, this won't happen automatically, okay? This is what Paul's saying. If you approach it this way, this is what's going to happen. Let's look at Matthew, what Jesus says. He, he, he gets into this. This is great. Jesus says, uh, Matthew chapter 6, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. And he's speaking about motive. For you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do what the hypocrites do. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, this is not in my notes. I just feel like I have to say this and then move on from this. Interpret this verse carefully. A context, or, or a text like this, without some type of a pretext or a context is going to set you up for bad, for bad news. Here's what Jesus is talking about. I hear a lot of this, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. People feel like, hey, all giving should be anonymous. He's not talking about offerings and tithes here. Do you know what he's talking about? Giving to the poor, which sat along the streets. And what he's saying is, there were a group of people who were very religious who were making a big production out of 
what they were giving to the poor because they wanted all people to notice their acts of generosity and think differently about them. It wasn't out of a motive to help the poor. It was out of a motive to be noticed, to be thought of as generous. And Jesus says, God's not going to bless you on top of what you're already getting. You're getting a reward for it. People are thinking you're generous. Enjoy it. That's all you get. So he says, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. So there's some people who say, you know, I think it's wrong. The church has offering envelopes and we shouldn't. It's not wrong. It should all be anonymous. If you feel like you want to give anonymously, give anonymously. No problem to me. I don't care. Give anonymously. But let's be careful about not saying that the Bible mandates. This is really talking about, you know, it's talking about a specific situation. We can't make it a macro issue. It's, 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 it's up to you to give how you want to give. Okay? But it's not mandating that, you know, you, you can't put it in an envelope. And if you want to have a record of receipts for you, that's, that's totally up to you. I really don't care. I don't get to look, go in and look and see who gives what. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other. All that matters is you give what your heart tells you to give that your budget can afford. Are we clear on that? Sometimes we just we take verses and we, and we don't understand exactly what's going on there and we start misapplying it to other places. So basically what it gives, it gives you the latitude is if you want to give anonymously, go for it. But if, no matter how you give, we don't give it with the motive of being recognized for our giving. We give it because we love and we really want to help people in need. So, the, so, the, so that's where we're at. Let's review a couple key definitions real quick and we'll dive right in. So we define this each week. If you're new to us, if, if you've been with us, these are just a review. If you're new to this series, let's define what generosity is. Generosity is... Actually, it's the habit of giving without expecting a return. I'm not, I'm not doing it for any other reason than because I want to, because I love to. It's giving my time or my money or my resources or my talent or abilities. And it's motivated solely out of love for God and love for his people. It's not because I want to please the pastor. It's not because I'm trying to get a say in the matters of whatever organization I'm in. It's not because I'm trying to manipulate people into getting what I want. It's not to improve my self-image. It's not to make me feel good. It's solely out of love for God and love for his people. And then we have to, because we talked about in the series about the phrase tipping point. Um, a tipping point is the point at which a small change becomes significant enough to make a larger, more important change. So tipping points are really just maybe these small little decisions that we make or a series of them that when they start moving, develop momentum to go somewhere else. So let's push towards the tipping point uh, when, it, when it comes to the idea of, of our motives. Here's kind of where we start and where we're trying to get to in life. Many of us begin our approach to generosity with a belief that says, I give because I have to give. Now, this message is, 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 is it, the intended audience of this message are people who are already giving and living a life of generosity. If you live outside of that, if you're still considering that, you can still listen in, you'll get some. But when we, most of us begin our approach to generosity, if we say, you know what, I want to be generous, I want to give. We, most of us, not all of us, begin with this idea that I'm giving because I have to give doesn't matter if I want to or not. God commands it. Society expects it. It's demanded on me. I have to give. Here's how I, here's how I illustrate this. I remember um, as a child, it was hard for me to get used to giving. We grew up very, very, very poor. And I, I didn't know how poor we were until people told me how poor I was. I thought we had everything we needed. And then you go to school and everybody else is like, man, you just don't have this, that, the other. You know, we lived in a trailer. We, you know, three of us shared a bedroom. I mean, it was, it was simple, but I thought we had everything until people reminded me that, you know, hey, you really don't. Um, I was not allowed to have transformers growing up, um, which was, you know, like one of the worst sins a parent could ever perpetrate on their children, you know, and, uh, transformers were these little cars that turned into robots and back and forth. All, all my friends had them except me, you know, I played with sticks and dirt and sand, um, but, you know, I, I don't remember what the reason was. You know, there was just certain things that were banned. And I, I grew up in a very, uh, I, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in, in, in 
uh, a really neat home, but I mean, we just had rules for things I didn't understand until later. Certain cartoons we couldn't watch, certain things we couldn't do. Um, and I knew those things more than the things I was allowed to do. But I was not allowed to have Transformers. And uh, I don't know if they were just, later on, just, just because they were an expensive toy. And so they wanted me to get into things. It made sense. My friend, his name was Jason Gross. Awesome last name. He really got ridiculed. His last name was Jason Gross. I've forgotten almost everybody else from my childhood. I remember Jason. He um, was like second or third grade. He had a birthday party I got invited to. And uh, I was all excited about going to the party until my mom told me, well, we need to go shop for a gift for Jason. And I was like, okay. You know, and we went to the store. And she's like, well, what does Jason like? I was like, well, he likes Transformers. She's like, okay, well, let's buy him a Transformer. I'm like, hold up. like, well, no, that would be nice if that's something he likes. It's a nice thing to do. We want to be generous. We want to give to your friends. Let's buy him a Transformer. And she, like, went through all the Transformers. She's like, oh, what's Optimus Prime? Is this a good one? I was like, that's the best one. She's like, well, that's why, would you think your friend would like it? No. <laughs> she's like, do you think Jason would like Optimus Prime? Probably. And I was so mad. Because, I mean, let's be honest. This is a major injustice here. I mean, I'm not, I was, at that point, I was not nearly the beacon of emotional maturity that stands before you today. And I was having a full-blown meltdown in Kmart in Chambersburg. I was just having a full-blown meltdown because she bought something I wanted that I wasn't allowed to have, and I was then supposed to wrap it up and be happy about giving it to Jason, who didn't deserve it. We took it home. We wrapped it up. And I did not want to give Jason this present. I just couldn't get into it. I was not feeling it. I didn't want to. But my mother said, you will go to that party and you will give him a present and you will like it. You can't mandate motive onto somebody. And I remember going to that party and I was just miserable the whole day. I actually cried, not like the heaving tears, but it was like, like the crying that I know I shouldn't be crying, but I couldn't resist the tears from coming down. You know, I gave him that present. I had to watch him open that present. Play with Optimus Prime. I have never felt more miserable in my life giving a gift to somebody when I gave because I had to. And many of us, sometimes innocently and sometimes as the result of coercion or bad teaching, have this idea that we don't need to want to give or like to give or even feel it when it comes to what we give to God or what we give to others. We just have to. It's almost like we're, we're talking about a God who wants mindless obedience. God does not want mindless obedience. He wants willful obedience. He wants willing hearts. And I will tell you, it is miserable when you live a life of giving because you feel like you have to give. Well, I have to give or God's going to curse me. Really? That's the God that Paul talks about. That's the God Peter talks about. That's the God that Jesus described to us, a God that's just standing up in heaven. He needs my gift so bad that he's going to curse me that if I don't hit this thing, that's a misunderstanding of who God is. He wants our heart. He, but most of us begin this approach of generosity. Believe says, I give because I have to give. And the people who give because they have to give, you know what else happens? When you give because you have to give, you resent the people who don't give like they're supposed to give. Well, pastor, the real problem is if everybody in this church would just give 10%, the problem is in your heart, man. It's not up to you to decide who, who they... You know what the Bible teaches me? Give what's in your heart to give. Paul says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. 
But if you start with this approach of, I'm just going to give because I have to give, there's no blessing in it. There's no blessing in it. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, if I give the 10%, even if I don't want to, God promised. Blah, blah, blah. No, this is not like magic. This is not like a magical operation. You just throw $10 in a hat whether you want to or not, and $100 comes back out. That's not what this is. That's not what giving means. Well, I don't really want to go serve the children, but by God, if I don't, God's going to zap me. The pastor's going to be mad at me. And go, no, no, no. But many of us begin our approach to generosity with this giving because I have to give. And it just feels miserable. It feels miserable when you do it. It feels miserable if other people don't do it. It just feels miserable. That's not what this whole process is. not about extracting an unwelcome tax from you. How do we move past that? Here's the tipping point. Tipping point for releasing joy and freedom and generosity is when I'm motivated to give because I want to. I give because I want to. That's the tipping point. Because when you do something unwillingly, that doesn't lead to a life of more of this unwilling behavior going on. But if you want to live a life of generosity with your time and with your ability and with your resources, you start to give because you want to. I heard a story of of someone who's here this morning. I won't embarrass him by calling their name, a contractor here in the church. And I find more and more and more stories of this contractor going to people's houses many of whom can't pay for the needed services that they have, and he just does it, and he won't accept payment for it. And he gives because he wants to. I remember even recently, we were talking about this, and he said, you know why I do it? He says, because I can. That might be what I mean. I can't go write a check and fix everybody's this, that, the other thing, but I have the ability to fix things when people need it. Now, you know, he can't make a living and provide for his family if he does 100 hours a week of free jobs, Right? But he says, you know why I do it? Not because I don't want to. It's not because I'm unwilling. It's not because I have to. I do it because I can and because I want to. Talked to another young man who attends here. He's been at Echo for about six months. And we had coffee the, uh, two weeks ago. And he said, you know, Pastor, you've been talking about generosity. And he said, honestly, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm young. I'm just starting on my career. I'm not able to give financially to the degree that I know I'd really like to. He said, I do give. He said, but you know, like I was asking God the other week. He said, What do I have? What are my abilities and resources that I could have? I really want to do more for people. And he said, well, I'm young and I'm strong. That's what I've got. And so he said, I just, the thought came in my mind, why not call Habitat for Humanity? He said, and you know, I got a hold of Habitat for Humanity up in Aberdeen. And they said, why don't you come up this Saturday and help us Help us build a house. He says, I'm not even really good at swinging a hammer, but I went up there. He said, I got paired up with this guy that taught me how to hammer and nails and do this and that and the other thing. He said, it was one of the most gratifying experiences of my life, so I've decided I'm going to do that regularly. I'm going to give some of my time away and go up there to Habitat for Humanity and help build houses for people who really need them. You know why? Because he wants to. That's why. Not because I made him or we had a sign-up sheet. He had to go and seek this out on his own. He had to do some work to do this. But he said, you know what, I'm going to drive, and he lives the whole opposite on the west side of the city. He's like, I will drive up there a couple Saturdays a month, and I will give some of my time to do this. You know why? Because he wants to. And once he did it once, he said, I like that so much, I want to do it again. You want to grow in a life of generosity? Find something you want to do, because the things you want to do are easier for you to keep doing. The things you don't want to do, you will stop doing. So if you can find a way to get to this place where I give because I want to, let me tell you what this turns into. Turns into the momentum, the last one is the the momentum released when I give freely matures and develops into giving because I love to give. It even goes beyond just wanting to do it. You start loving it. You love giving of your time. You love giving of your resources. You love giving of whatever it is that God's put in your field that you can give away. 
I had a great conversation last Sunday morning out in the auditorium with Paul Maldice. And uh, I just, I love Paul and Joan and their whole family. They are just wonderful people. Paul's been here since the very beginning here at Echo Community Church. Every single Sunday, except for the Sundays he's in Disney, but every single Sunday, <laughs> he's one of the very first people that's going to be here. 7.45, 8 o'clock, he, Alan, Chris Corelli, some of those guys are just here real early. John Burke and the whole crew, Grant, Mill. And you know, he gets here two hours before church and he doesn't stop moving the whole time. He's setting things up. He's tearing things down. He's moving things around. He's helping this one. He's helping that one. Today he's helping my wife carrying boxes in here and he's over here setting up a curtain over there. Then he turns around and greets people and, and he just smiles. He, he, he almost, he could convince you that he actually likes doing it. And last Sunday we had a conversation. We were just talking vision. He looked at me. He said, you know, here's what he said. He said, I just love doing this. He said, I love it. He said, I love greeting people when they come. He said, he's like, if one new person gets added to the kingdom, all of this is worth it for me. He's like, I just love it. He's beyond even wanting to do it. He loves it because he started somewhere along the line and said, I want to do this. I'll get involved. I'll serve. And, and the more that he did it, he just found that he loves it. That's what generosity grows into. It grows into not even doing it just out of want. You do it because you love to do it. Here's a phrase I want to leave with you this morning. This is extremely important. God blesses and rewards us when we do the right thing the right way for the right reasons. That whole sentence is extremely important. I don't have time to really dive into that this morning, but if you have anything I've said over the last month, if you'll let this sentence sink into your heart, it will be a good lane for you to run in when you're trying to make decisions. God blesses and rewards us when we do the right thing the right way for the right reasons. You realize you can do the right thing the right way for the wrong reasons. You can also do the right thing the wrong way. You ever tried that? Husbands, ever try that? Stuart says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, have you ever tried to compliment your wife with the right thing in your heart and it just came out the wrong? We don't have enough time this morning uh, for me to, to unpack all that. It's possible to do the right thing the wrong way and even for the wrong reasons. Our actions, and see, here's, here's the whole New Testament what's trying to help us. Paul, all through the New Testament, is trying to help us understand it. our actions are absolutely important. They absolutely are. But the motives and the reasons underneath the actions are even more important. It's not just about reconditioning behavior. The New Testament isn't just blind adherence to the Ten Commandments, whether you understand or not, just do it. It's about having a heart change that says this new covenant in my heart is that I am bound to Jesus by love and that love for him now motivates all of my actions. You get this teaching out there that says when Jesus died on the cross, you know, um, he rendered the whole Old Testament null and void and we didn't, you, you, you got people that, that misunderstand new covenant, old covenant stuff and that would take me four weeks to really dive into all that completely and parse it out for you. But let me understand this. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't undo the Old Testament. What he did was he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled everything that the law, that they had a system in the Old Testament they lived under, that, that was the law. Basically, God says, I'm your God, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to put a fence around you, you need to live inside that fence. And I'll help you know where the fence is by giving you commandments and laws and, and, and rules and things you need to live within. So stay with inside that, and we're all good. You stay outside of that, you're in bad shape. 
And so they just had to understand what the laws were. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill. Honor the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Honor your, your, love your neighbor as yourself. Bring the first fruits and the tithe of the offering. Then there's people saying, well, when Jesus died on the cross, he said he came to destroy the whole old law. No, 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 no. He came to fulfill it. There's a new covenant in place now. That new covenant doesn't mean we just tear up everything in the Old Testament. We don't pay attention to it. But it talks about the way that we go about getting there. Because there's people who say, well, tithing is, is Old Testament. That's in the old law. Jesus destroyed it. Okay, well, there's a lot of other things in the old law. Did Jesus destroy all of it? He said, don't commit adultery. Is that okay now? Go sleep with whoever you want to. doesn't matter. What, is, what the new covenant says, it's not written on a tablet. It's written on our heart now. There's a law of love in here. Does that mean that adultery, you know, adultery is okay? No, adultery is not okay. Why? Because I love God and I love my wife, so I won't commit adultery. Well, do I not give anymore? No, I love God and I love his people, so I give out of love. Not because the law makes me, but because I give because I want to. I don't steal because I love God. I love my neighbor. I love my, my integrity. And so I'm going to protect it. The new, the new covenant is written on love in your heart. So it's not this mindless, and I don't want to suggest for a second that the Jews were, were uh, in the Old Testament were just doing it out of mindless obedience. That's not, they loved, man, did they love their God. They loved their God. They went through seasons like we do. They were walking close to him, walking far from him. But the bottom line in the New Testament, it's not like he changed all the rules. He just said, it's about what's in your heart. And if you follow love, you're, guess what? You're going to land in all these other places. Because out of love, that's why we do what we do. So the big idea is when we do the right thing the right way for the right reasons, God blesses us, he honors us, he rewards us. So one of the mor- what are some morally pure motives for acts of generosity? That's a fancy way of saying, what are some of the right reasons for me to consider living a generous life? I'll give you three. Just because I'm a pastor and I think in threes. Number one, giving that is sincere rather than disingenuous. That's a good motive. Well, where do you pull that from, pastor? Two places, a chapter apart. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, says, Paul says this, whatever you give is acceptable. All those words are important. Whatever you give is what? Acceptable if, there's a condition here, if you give it, how? Eagerly. So if you can't give eagerly, according to this verse, if we were taking your SATs, if you can't give it eagerly, is it acceptable? If you can't give it eagerly, is it acceptable? So, Pastor, are you saying I should stop giving? Well, that's one approach. Or you could grow in your relationship with God and get to a place where you feel like you can give to him whatever you can give eagerly and sincerely. But what happens is if you give begrudgingly and unwillingly, here's what happens. Anytime I do something I don't feel like doing, but I override it and I do it anyway, it's called being insincere. I don't feel like being nice to you, but I will be because it's the right thing to do. That's being disingenuous. Now, sometimes it's a way to keep the peace. Sometimes it's just, you know, I don't, I really want to be rude, so I should just go up and be rude. No, if you're going to be somebody you're not, be somebody you should be that you're not. You know, like you might, you might not feel like being polite today, but that's what you should do. And so you have to will yourself up to be able to do it. But when we start doing things we don't want to do, it's called being insincere or being disingenuous. And God doesn't want us to give to him insincerely. Why? Because what possible motive would I have to give to God if I don't want to? What's making me override that? Because I think there's something in it for me, because I feel pressured, because I feel reluctant. All the reasons the Bible says we shouldn't be motivated to give. Because it indicates I don't understand him, and I don't know him like I think I do. 
That's what he said to the third person he gave the talent to. The person who he gave one talent to in the parable, the guy said, well, I know how you are. You're mean. You take things that don't belong to you, so I buried it. And you know what that just says? He doesn't know the master. The master's not like that. So he couldn't bless him for it. Whatever you give is acceptable if you can give it eagerly. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it comes back. He says you have to decide in your heart how much to give. So what are some morally pure reasons to give? One is if you can give sincerely. If you can give of your time, of your resources, of your money, of, your, of whatever it is that you have to give. If you can do it sincerely, that's a good motive for giving. If you're having to do it disingenuously, I would pause right there and not continue in the cycle. When you give disingenuously and there's no blessing in it, it becomes miserable. You decide that this doesn't work. It's not worth giving. Generosity is just a big crock. That's not the pathway we want to go down. Pause there. And find a place in your heart where you can start living generously but do it sincerely. Number two, giving that comes from a heart that is willing rather than a heart that wants to appease. That's another morally pure motive for acting generously. Giving from a heart that is willing rather than a heart that wants to appease. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. If you feel like what... If you feel like you have to give reluctantly, which means you don't really want to, you're hesitant, you've got doubts, you're not sure if it's wise, you're not sure if it's right, you're not sure if you trust the person that you're giving to, or the need, or whatever it is that you're trying to meet, or if you feel pressured and coerced into giving, it's not going to be a good experience for you. I've been in those churches, I was in a church one time, they took five offerings, five Someone last week caught me afterwards and said they were in a service. They took like seven, seven offerings. And they said one of the offerings the pastor was up or the, someone was up front saying, you know what? I believe that there's, you know, 10 people in the room. They're going to give $5,000. Who are they? They didn't raise their hand. All right, 2,500, 25. It's like a reverse auction. It embarrasses me as a Christian and as a pastor to hear about that. It embarrasses me. Because we're supposed to represent Christ to the world. And I don't see God up in heaven doing a reverse auction trying to bait people into giving. I realize this will offend some of my pastoral colleagues in other churches. It doesn't matter. You know, this is what the word teaches. I'm supposed to make it as easy as possible for you to give of your time, your resources, and ability where you can do it willingly and not feel pressured into giving it. Because guess what? When you feel pressured, I'm the person who sits in there like, what is it going to take me to get this guy to shut up and move on? 20 bucks? I'll give the 20 bucks. Let's move on. What blessing is there in that for me? For him, for the ministry, for the people we're trying to help. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response. If you're feeling pressured, coerced into giving, pause. Pause there. Don't respond to that because God wants any of our giving. Whatever we give is okay if we give it eagerly out of love for him. Rather than, because when you do give reluctantly or you do give in response to pressure, there's one motivation, it's to appease whoever's on the other side of that. It's to appease them or to appease your conscience. God doesn't want our giving to be out of appeasement. Finally, giving, another good reason, giving that demonstrates my love for God instead of a desire to control or impress others. That's what Jesus was driving at in Matthew 6. Sometimes, Sometimes our giving, I don't know whether this happens in church or not. I'm sure it does that maybe, you know, in some people's minds, if they give a lot of money, they should have a say or a vote in big, big matters and the more that they give. You know, I've, I've seen it happen very rarely in my life. I've heard stories of it happening. I have not been in churches where that's really been a big, huge, huge issue. But I've heard of churches where people give large sums of money over the course of the year and they keep track of how much they give. And boy, if a decision comes down the pipes that they don't agree with, 
they will quantify and say, well, hey, I give X amount of dollars to the church, and I don't like the fact that my money goes in this direction. Well, there's two problems. Churches need to be absolutely 100% accountable for what they, how they manage finances. Believe me, we, we work really, really, really hard here. We have outside audits and everything else. We look at every receipt. We do everything that we can to try and have uh, the, the best in accounting practices as far as that. Another thing happens that when you give for that reason, you never really release ownership of what you just gave. That's my money that you have now. Now, when I give, I, I erase my name off of it and turn it over to whoever, you know. Like some people say, well, how do you, why do you give to that homeless person? You don't know what they're going to do with the money. Well, no, I don't, but God knows the motive of my heart, and that's what I get credit for. Once I give it to them, it's their money to do with as they decide. That's the choice that I make. That's the choice that I make. Sometimes, though, we believe that our giving is about controlling or impressing other people. And I, look, Sometimes it happens with finances. A lot of times it happens with talents and gifts and abilities. I've seen that creep into life too. You get people that are very talented and very gifted and they feel like they want to use their gift to draw attention to themselves and to control and to impress other people with who they are and what they've got. That's not true generosity either. Generosity is about giving away to make other people's lives better regardless of what impact it has on my own life. The beautiful thing is that God embeds all of these great things that we can do with a lot of that return. God's not extracting from us when we give. He's pouring back in our lives. You know, it's not, hard, it's not hard for me necessarily to get up and talk for 30 or 45 minutes a week about what I learned in the Bible. It's very, it's very natural to me because that's what I'm gifted to do. I get no more credit for my ability to teach and preach than I do for having blue eyes or a bald head. That's all God's responsibility. But it's very easy to take the things that we're good at and bend it towards a way to, to, to uh, impress other people and make it all about us. It's not. You have gifts and abilities just like I do. Our job is to cultivate and recognize what they are and find ways that we can not only use those things to take care of ourselves and our family, but to bless other people and give back. So those are three morally, morally pure motives that you can have for giving. If, if you can give sincerely, if you can give willingly, and if you can give out of love for God rather than needing to press and control other people, those are good, solid moral reasons for why we give. The blessing that comes from living generously is not limited to any type of tangible return on my investment. The richest blessing of giving is the joy that generosity activates when it's released through my life and into the lives touched through my giving. I've also heard generosity teaching that it really is almost like an investment strategy, that if you give X, God gives you back X plus this percent. Now, it's not unlike God to bless us tangibly and spiritually when we give, absolutely. And the Bible's filled with those promises, and I hold on to those in my own life. But the truth of the matter is that what you will find is that when you really live a life of generosity, it's this joy that you experience while you're doing it and watching that joy become activated in the lives of the people you're being generous, generous with. That's really the blessing. I spoke with a, another uh, one of our uh, you know, strong intenders here, one of our strong leaders here at Echo this past week. He said, you know, I, I, he said, I, <laughs> I, I watched him as he took time out of his schedule to minister to, uh, you know, to, to another man who was just going through a tough season in his life. And, and, and this, guy, this guy that ministered, uh, this guy that took time out of his schedule, he, he's a very successful businessman. He's got a lot on his plate. He's he, uh, really, 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 really busy, but he saw a need in someone else's life. And on Monday morning, which when you, look, if you, if you work a job that's primarily Monday through Friday, Monday mornings are those days when you just, you really got to get your head on for the week. He took, he took several hours away from his job that morning out of his own pocket to meet with this guy and asked me to be involved and just really poured into his life. And, and uh, he said, you know, I have a dream to be able to do even more and more of this. He says, I just, I just, I love doing this. I have such joy in, in helping other people to the degree that I can. And, and wh what he was saying is it's not like, you know, I take this time away from my work because I expect God to put it all back in there. No, 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 no. He said the real benefit, the real blessing he was getting from being generous with his time and with his counsel was the joy that he experienced in God as he was doing it and the joy he was able to extend in the life of someone else who needed to hear it. So let me close by just answering this question. 
that was really arrogant. I don't know that I can answer this question in the next two minutes, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe just give you the summary of a, of, of a study that I'm doing in my own life. Where does tithing fit into our study of generosity? And we'll do this right before lunch so that we can break this with a good, uh, a good meal right at the end. But where, where really does tithing fit into this whole study on generosity? I get asked that question a lot. In fact, on your comment cards, um, you know, I've been asked regularly, why don't you do more teaching on tithing? Um, uh, because I don't really feel like I need to teach. I don't think it's the, the one main huge issue, but I do think we need to do teaching on tithing. Um, and I appreciate those of you that do give me constructive feedback. I will tell you this. If you don't put your name on the card, I'm not going to read it. Um, you know, those anonymous snipes, that's just the enemy's playground. So, you know, if you're going to complain about something that goes on here at Echo, at least p- have enough nerve to put your name on there so we can interact about it. Doesn't I, d- I don't need to let the enemy get at me with uh, unnamed and anonymous complaint. So that might be your vehicle or your avenue, and you might not have ever had any teaching in that. But if you really want to use your Connect card as a way to express something constructive about me or about the church, all I would ask is that you have enough enough integrity to put your name on there so that we can interact. If you think that little of me that I can't handle it, maybe you're right. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. You know, but, but, but seriously, if, if it's really an issue that's that big on your heart that you feel like we need to dialogue about, and you want your voice to be heard, at least put your name on there so that I can do you the due diligence as your pastor of offering you a personal response to that. Because if it bothers you that deeply, I want to connect with you about it and I want us to talk through. You might have some wisdom I need to hear. But if you don't put your name on there, um, there's no opportunity to go through that. So every now and again, um, I, I will get that. Why don't you teach more on tithing? Um, and maybe I should. I don't know. Uh, something I need to pray through with God. But we do teach at least annually on generosity. Some people get upset if you hear about it every week. So I don't want that to be it either. But where, where does tithing fit into this whole study? Well, tithing is the practice of returning. It's returning the first 10% of all I receive to God in the form of an offering. It began with Abraham. So even before they had the Ten Commandments, even before they had a law, there was tithing going on. Then when Israel made a covenant with God, he said, return to me the first 10%. And there's, wish I had time to walk through all the verses, but he you, you can walk these through yourself, but you just, maybe just extend a little trust to me this morning. Return the first 10% of everything to God. It really was him putting into, into the hands of his people that they could learn uh, an, a, a theologically, uh, an economic theist view, saying that there's a God of everything, including my finances. And he gave them a pattern. Basically, the simplest form is saying 10%, the first 10% went to God, the second 10% he encouraged them to save, and then they could live off the other 80% do with it as they wanted to, 10, 10, 80. At the time of Jesus, you realize, even when Jesus, Jesus talked about tithing, Matthew 23, 23. He got it in the face of some of the religious leaders of the day. He said, you know what? Let me tell you what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, and let me give you some advice. He said, here's what you're doing right. You tithe. He said, you tithe so specifically, you even go through your spices, and you give even 10% of your spices. He's like, you are all about tithing. He said, here's the problem. You've selected one part of the law to focus on, and you're ignoring other ones. And you think that what you give is enough of a deodorant to cover over the fact that you're not about love, you're not about grace, you're not about mercy, you're not about faithfulness. And this is a problem because if you're, Jesus said in other places, if you, if you break the law in one place, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. So here's what he says to them. I want you to continue the former without neglecting the latter. In other words, keep tithing. Don't stop. But friend, you need to pay attention to love, mercy, faithfulness, grace. Those things are important too. Of course, now, this happens before he, this, he's speaking to Jews, and this is happening while the law was still in place. He dies on the cross. He's rose from the dead. We have a new covenant. And here's what the people who, would, you know, who, who aren't into tithing or don't think that it's a biblical concept, they say, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, that's all we ever hear about tithing. We never hear tithing again mentioned in the New Testament. You're right. We also never see tithing forbidden in the rest of the New Testament. 
So for those who say Jesus forbade it and undid it, absolutely not. For those who said that, that afterwards it's still mandated to the same degree, that's not true either. So what do we have? Oh, we have an answer, and I love it. Paul steps in here. Now, Paul grew up in what faith? He was a Jew. Paul was really well-educated, extremely well-educated. One of the best teachers ever taught him. If there's ever anybody in the history of the world who lived right after Jesus, who was educated and capable of writing an awesome apologetic statement on tithing, here's the dude. And he got to write, and he wrote under the inspiration of the New Testament. Now, most of Paul's ministry was not to people like him who grew up in Jewish households who converted to Christianity and understood tithing already, right? These are not people who were raised in this. Most of Paul's ministry was to whom? The Gentiles, the people who were getting saved outside of Judaism. They had no idea what the old covenant was. They had no idea what tithing was. They had no, they had no perception. They're totally coming in completely new to Christianity. And these are the people that Paul's ministry is focused on. And he understands that when they get saved, they're going to want to be generous. And if you read through some of these letters, his people were crazy generous. Even the ones who were poor and stricken with poverty, he says, these people are begging us for more opportunities to give of the little that they have. So Paul recognized he had to give them some very plain and simple teaching on what giving was, but he couldn't just assume that they grew up knowing what what tithing was. So here's what he says. He gives two different kinds of, he offers us uh, two different kinds of generosity that should be explored and embraced by all of us. And here's one of them, giving in proportion to my earnings. He says, this is something that every Christian should do. We should find a way to give in proportion to our earnings. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 16. Now, regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I also gave to the churches in Galatia. In other words, there's a procedure. Here, what does Paul say in the New Testament? After Jesus dies on the cross, raised from the dead, new covenant. On the first day of each week, you should each... Why does he say the first day? Well, well, because it might be gone if it's after the first day. That was when they got paid. On the first day of the week, when you get paid, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Do you see the words there? A portion. Does he say how much? He just says a portion. Thank you, Dave. He says a portion. He says a portion. Now, in Paul's mind, he could have probably been more specific, right? Paul knew what portion they had given all through the Old Testament. What would Paul's possible motive be in teaching these new Christians that it could be a portion you decide in your heart rather than the tithe? I don't have the full answer for that other than if I just read all of his thing together, I would say this. I think Paul trusted enough in what happens when we get saved that if he just said, you need to decide in your heart what portion of the money you can give, he makes it easy for people who never lived with their budget in a godly system to find some way. Because listen, if you don't, approach tithing in the context of your whole budget, it's going to be a disaster for you. Because many people, when they come to Christ, look, they're not living with biblically-based economic principles. They're living on 120% of what comes in. And if you say the first 10% has to go to God, not 9, not 8, not 7, not 6, that's not enough, you're cursed, you might as well not even give. You set that first rung of the ladder so high, they could give that first 10% so they don't get cursed and then go home and not have enough money to pay their mortgage at the end of the month and conclude that this didn't work. So here's what he says. Put aside a portion of the money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. Paul teaches that all of us should give a portion of the money that we've earned to God when it comes into our household. He lets it up to our heart to decide it. Well, pastor, what if I'm unemployed? Well, then what are you earning? Zero. You can give 100% of that, 50% of that, 10% of that. What God's saying is if there's nothing coming in, don't feel any pressure to give. You can't give in proportion to your earnings if there's no earnings coming in, right? 
just makes common sense. But what he's saying is you need to go into your heart and decide what portion you should give. Now, if I'm a follower of Christ, I'd be like, well, where, what is a good portion? You know, it's like getting a recommendation for a gift to bring the party. Do you have any type of a guideline? Well, if I start opening up the Bible and looking for guidelines, there's going to be a qu- pretty quick answer for a portion that I should look for. That 10% might be the goal for me to shoot for, to get to. A place for me to think, I see 10% through the Bible, but you know what? My budget won't allow that right now. Then you've got bigger problems than the tithe. You've got a budget that needs to be brought under order. And as you get that budget ordered, it's going to move you in that direction, allow you to be as generous as your heart wants to. But he says it is, it is something we should embrace as Christian, regular, portional giving with respect to my earnings. Now, I practice, I absolutely have always practiced giving the tithe. We talk about that here. We teach it here. We practice it here. But for some of us, if you think it's only the tithe and nothing less than the tithe and certainly nothing more than the tithe, then you're missing the boat. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches for me to put a portion aside and keep with my earnings. I absolutely believe in the blessing of the tithe. I believe that that's the, the, the thing to shoot for. But I also believe that for many of us, if we went into our hearts, we've been tithing so long and it's become so mindless to us that that's not nearly enough. It's about going back into your heart. Second thing he says is giving in response to love or need. So we, give in, we can give in proportion to our earnings. That's a regular thing that happened. Then he said, there's also times to give in response to love or need. He says, I want you to know what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. I can testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of giving. You can read the rest of that passage on your own. Here's the bottom line. I talked about this last week. These people gave beyond what they can afford to a specific cause because they heard that the Christians in Jerusalem were having a really rough time, that they were unemployed, that they were in the bread lines, that they were being persecuted by having even their jobs withheld from them because of their faith in Christ. And all these other churches all over the world are just being gripped by this and saying, we've already given <laughs> that portion of our earnings. It says they gave even beyond what they could afford. In other words, they went back into their budget and found something that they could move around and they brought that offering and they gave. So there's two different types of giving that the New Testament teaches about, giving in proportion to our earnings and also giving in response to love or to need. We found out there was a need here at the high school for a new refrigerator, for whatever. You know, you may not understand this. We do pay $30,000 a year in rent, but that money doesn't go to Perry Hall High School. It goes to Baltimore County Public School System. That money doesn't get kicked back here. So all we are is extra work for them that they're willing to take on for us to have church here. So when we found out that they had a refrigerator that wasn't working in the faculty lounge, we said, we want to be generous. There's a need here that we want to give to this school out of love. And so this week, thanks to your generosity, which made it, made it possible, we were able to go to Lowe's, buy a brand-new refrigerator, have it delivered here to the school. They carried the old one away. They hooked the new refrigerator up. We had another person in the congregation stepped up and said, I want to replace their microwave. He went out, bought a microwave, brought the microwave in today. So their faculty lounge has a new refrigerator, a new microwave. We didn't do that because we felt like we had to. We did it because there was a need, and we loved the school, and we gave out of that. Those are both two areas for us to cultivate in our giving. So what's the summary statement on all this? Here's, here's where I'm landing at this point in my life and my understanding of tithing. Listen very carefully. And you may want to listen to this again before I get taken completely out of context. Tithing is blessable by God when the following conditions are in place. Number one, my heart wants to tithe. Number two, my budget is ordered according to biblical principles of honoring, saving, and living. And number three, my attitude is eager and cheerful to give the tithe. And it's blessable, Absolutely. If you want to, if you're cheerful, if you're eager to do it, and if your budget is ordered by godly principles, this will be a blessing to you and a blessing to God. If, however, tithing is not blessable by God when any of the following conditions are placed, when my heart doesn't want to tithe, if you don't want to give, there's no blessing in it for you or for God. When my budget is not ordered according to biblical principles, 
If you start trying to tithe without looking at your whole budget first, this is going to be a disaster for you. Because there's some people who say, you know what, my finances are in such a wreck, I'm just going to start tithing. That's like my Hail Mary pass. I'm just going to start putting my 10% in the offering, and then God is contractually obligated to fix my budget. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you've got a problem with discipline or you've got a problem with whatever is causing your budget to be upside down, just magically throwing money in a get-rich-quick scheme in your mind, it's not the way that this works. That's not what God's asking of us. He's asking us to look at our whole budget. You can't honor God with part of your budget and then just ignore the rest. That's not how it works. Everything comes from God. And the only way I'm ever going to get to a place where I can give 10% and more is if I look at my whole budget and bring that whole budget under order. We talked about that the last two weeks. Or finally, God can't bless me when my attitude is reluctant or pressured to give the tithe. If you've been giving your tithe and you don't want to, or you feel pressure to, or like you're not going to heaven if you don't tithe, please pause. Please pause here. Pastor, why do you teach this? What if the giving goes completely south? Then I will never teach this series ever again. (laughs) I'm not afraid to stand in front of you and teach what I believe in my heart the Bible teaches because I will answer to God personally if I got it wrong. I've given you some homework because at the end of the day, I can't decide what's in your heart and I won't tell you what's in your heart. I'm doing the best I can to read the New Testament and the Old Testament. Do my homework, pray through this and present to you what I believe the Bible teaches. At the same time, you have to answer for God for what you think the Bible teaches. And if there's some things here that just aren't jibing right in your mind, please go back. I've given you a lot of verses. You read through it, you pray through it and you act on whatever you feel like God is saying to your heart. But I don't ever want you to feel like like your pastor sitting in front of you, coercing you or pressuring you to give. I trust I trust the Bible enough that if it says I will completely change through salvation, my heart wants to give and my heart will be motivated by love as I grow in my relationship with God, then I don't feel like I have to pressure you in order for the needs of this church and our community to be met. I feel like what I need to do is help disciple you and help lead you in that direction and make it as easy as possible for you to give with love and peace in your heart rather than feeling like you're just being coerced into it by your pastor. I do believe in the blessings of givings, but I believe in doing the right thing the right way for the right reasons. Does that make sense to you this morning? I just, I've been the victim of some tough teaching in my own life too and I found giving to be miserable and fearful for years. But God's just broken that off in my life and I've never felt more excited and free and joyful to give. I want to tell you, there's a lot of checks I write, I pay most of my bills online. There's some of those things that are just never pleasurable. I'm never excited to write a check to BGE. (laughs) Never. Ever. Yeah, Comcast, you know, I have Verizon. I don't get excited about that. In fact, I can't think of really a whole lot of my bills that I get really jazzed up to pay. I've spent money on things in life I regretted. I bought some meals before that were lousy. I've gone to sporting events where my team got just murdered. I've bought clothes that I look at 10 years later. What was he thinking? (laughs) I've never once regretted a penny that I've given to God or that I've given to someone in need, or that I've given to a cause that I believe in. It's the thing Kendra and I get most excited about every month. It's when we get, every month, every two weeks, when we get, when we get paid and we're able to give, and we just, oh, it's, and we always talk about what can we do to give more? How can we, we did that again this year, and you know, we've got to rearrange some things, and what are we, 
if we did this, we could give even more. And we just looked at each other. That's exactly what we want to do. It's a no-brainer. We just, okay, we're just going to move this around. We're just excited to be able to give to more, more things that we believe in. Not because, <laughs> not because we're wealthy or we just have money rolling in left and right. It's because we have a growing relationship with God that we have just found such a joy and a desire to be able to give. Not because we feel pressure to. Not because we feel expected to. Not because we feel like, oh my goodness, I have to. Or I'm not going to get the blessings of God in my life. It's so much deeper than that. It's just out of love. We have to set budgets for Christmas in our house. You know why? Because I love giving presents to people I love. Every single year, Kendra's like, you've got to slow down with what you buy to our son. He has enough stuff. I'm like, well, I can't help it. He likes getting the gifts. I like giving the gifts. She's like, yeah, but you're giving us into trouble every January. So we had to set a budget, just giving him three presents from now on. Because it's not hard to give gifts to people you love. It's not hard. It's not hard. That's what I want you to be able to experience in your own life. I want to release that into your life and encourage you to move in that direction. And I trust that our God is big enough that if we just fall madly in love with him and surrender everything to him, resources will never be a problem. For you, for the church, we will have enough to reach this community the way that we need to without having to strong arm and hurt ourselves and everything else. I just want you to fall madly in love with God and surrender control of not part of your life, but all of it. And it includes our finances and our budgeting. Heavenly Father, I love you. In fact, worship team, why don't you just hold steady where you're at because I have exhausted our time this morning. Just hold steady right where you're at. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you. There's some of you in this room right now that I don't care if you didn't understand anything I said about giving and budgeting and stuff this morning. The biggest question of all is what do you believe about Jesus? I don't care if you never put a dime in the offering here. That's not why we're here. We're not here to take something from you. We want to give something to you this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not right in your relationship with Jesus or you've strayed away from him and you want to come back to him today, that's the biggest decision right now for you. That's the tipping point of all tipping points. That's where all momentum for living totally shifts. That's where you start becoming a new person. And so if you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you just pray a simple prayer in your seat. It sounds something like this. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I've lived life my own way and I want that to end this morning. I want to turn completely around and I invite you into my life. I surrender control of everything to you. I want to start learning what it means to be your follower. I want to start living in such a way that your personality replaces mine, that your way of thinking and treating people, your attitudes and your wisdom, that bubbles up and takes the lead role in my life. That's what I really want. You have all the answers. You have the word of life. Where else will I go? So I'll take hold of you today. And I invite you into my heart. In your mighty name I pray. Father, the rest of us just make ourselves available to get again to you. I thank you, God, that I get to pastor a church that is very generous. So generous of time. So generous of their finances. So generous with their encouragement. With their ideas. With their willingness to serve people. God, we submit all of our acts of generosity to you this morning. And we just ask you to purify our motives. God, will you just search our heart and make sure that we really truly are doing the right things, the right ways, but for the right reasons. If there's anything in our heart that's not sincere or that's uh, giving out of pressure or guilt or meaning to appease, Lord, would you just wipe those things right out of our heart and release freedom into our hearts today? We're free to give, not because giving is what maintains my relationship with you. I'm free to give because I love you. 
and because you set me free from having to be in bondage to having to please and appease and do things that are disingenuous because of what people might think. God, I just pray you'd release a freedom for generosity in the house today. And that over the next 30, 60, 90 days, we'd see a flood of new volunteers taking place here at Echo and that we'd see even more needs meet outside of the context of our church, that people's neighbors and needs that they're meeting the community, Habitat, Humanity, wherever it is, God, that we'll be more aware and in tune and feel free to pursue the opportunities to help other people as we see a need. God, where our budgets need to be reordered, we invite your leadership in that area too. At the end of the day, we just want to please you and honor you because you've been so generous to us. In your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.